Hi, this is Austin Parsons, pitmaster with Smoky Mountain Q in Nashville, Tennessee, and you are listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Start the game! Let's go! We'll do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. And welcome to the really big Barbecue Central show. This is the show where we talk about all things that are important to the world of barbecue and grilling. The show originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city, Bomb City, USA, Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I am your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evenings live fire fun and frivolity show. If you want to get in touch with the show this evening or if you don't know how to follow the show and you want to know how to do that, here's how you do it. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to greg at the bbqcentralshow.com. Follow us on all the social media channels at BBQ Central Show. And be sure to subscribe to the show podcast feed on your favorite podcast platform. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening in case you get the newsletter. Coming up in about 12 minutes from now, it has been almost three. How good is the math here? It's almost been five years since the last Jeepers Creepers. Is that right? NBBQA in 2018, and I don't think he's been on since, which is a crime. When you hear the name Big Bob Gibson, who do you think about? Chris Lilly, right? And he will be on the show here this evening starting at 914 Eastern. And because we've had such a gap of time since the last we've met up and talked, we will run him through 35 past the hour as well, or as long as it makes sense and the conversation is going. But we have plenty to catch up on, not the least of which Memphis and May took place this past weekend. So we'll be talking all about that, plus a number of other items as well. So longtime friend of this show, done a number of interviews over the years, done the decades a 2022 Barbecue Central Show's Guest Hall of Fame inductee. And I can't believe it took that long. I'll probably also hit on that as well. So Chris Lilly in the first hour. Then we will move to the second hour, and it is the fourth Tuesday of a month. And in the second hour, you know that brings a visit from our pals, the Embedded Correspondents. Doug Scheiding from Texas. John Solberg from Michigan, and Rusty Monson from the great city of Utah, all set and ready to join me. We will be going over a brand new list of 100% Assurity questions, and then we will get into some other topics, not the least of which, by the way, programming note, if you didn't know, tomorrow 
at 3 p.m. Eastern right here on the Barbecue Central Show. You will have an exclusive announcement where we will reveal who will be making up the class of the Barbecue Hall of Fame 2023 edition. All the living members that are going in, totaling four. And we will have the legacy members. And we will also find out tomorrow if there is a Impact Award recipient. That's something that doesn't happen every year. Last year was the first year, but uh, through Robert Moss and some other dealings with folks on the name committee, that's not something that has to happen every year. It's just something if they see fit or it fits in whatever they're talking about, then they will have an Impact Award winner that year. So we'll see if that happens. And again, all that happens live tomorrow at 3 p.m. We'll Eastern. Live right here so stay tuned for that make a note then if you miss it it will be in a podcast later in the day so that's how the second hour is going to set up so chris Lilly coming up here in a few short minutes the embedded correspondence will run the balance of the second hour and we will mix in your emails and social media shout outs as well don't forget you can follow me socially instagram twitter tiktok snapchat at BBQ Central Show, we say good evening to those of you watching tonight through one of our video streaming platforms. You can go to Facebook and Twitch slash BBQ Central Show. By the way, don't be fooled. It's my fault. I forgot to update the text underneath it. I apologize. This is May 23rd. It's a live show. I know the text says it was last week's show, but every once in a while, I don't do everything. That's my fault. But this is a live show here Tuesday on 523. Don't worry about that, even though the text is telling you something differently. But you can watch us Facebook and Twitch slash BBQ Central Show. You can also watch us on YouTube slash, uh, actually, YouTube.com at BBQ Central Show is how I think they're saying it these days. And guess what? We have a new YouTube poll question of the week. And we ask everybody this. Is attending the Memphis and May Barbecue Festival on your barbecue bucket list? And currently, 85% of you are saying yes. All right. 15% are saying no. And I will reserve my comments for later in the show because you never know when I might have to break a tie. But right out of the gate, the yays are bringing it to the nays. By the way, if you missed the end of the show last week, 95% of the show, you were running, I forget what the uh, name of the, what was the question last week? I don't know, but everybody was answering no. Oh, uh, if a rest, if does it matter if a barbecue restaurant has Brunswick stew or not? And 95% of the show, it was 100% no. Nobody cared. And right at the end, some guy had to come, or gal, had to come in and sneak in and drop in a no and ruin it for everybody. Not the case this week. So 86% of you now are saying yes. Attending Memphis in May is a barbecue bucket list item for you. And I don't have to ask Chris Lilly that coming up next segment because obviously he's been going there for the last 25 years or whatever it is. But uh, we can certainly get his feedback on that as well. So let's go ahead and start here this evening. And... I'm surprised at how many emails and messages I got in regards to the West Wright segment from last week. And specifically, because we were talking about a number of items, but specifically the Kamado Joe connected Joe part of the conversation. 
There was an overwhelming majority of you who thought that this was a really cool option being introduced into the ceramic grill market. Obviously, first going with Kamado Joe here, but maybe it's something that is going to catch fire, no pun intended, and you'll see it spread across the two other big guys, that being Big Green Egg and Primo, although we've had Nick Bauer, the president and owner of Primo Grills currently, Mentioned right on the show as the Connected Joe was originally pilfered out a handful of months ago and said, well, the guys that are giving that technology to Kamado Joe came right over to our house the next day and offered us the same thing. So it's not lockdown technology. Whoever gave this or came up to uh, whoever came up with it and did the deal with Kamado Joe, there's no exclusivity here. They went right over to Primo and asked if they wanted to do the same thing. I would only imagine that they also went to the market leader in Big Green Egg and also asked if they would want this too. But there is an overwhelming majority of you that were writing in and reacting that thought it was a great option, so much so that I was encouraged all by myself to get in touch with some folks that I know that have it, put together a segment, and we can talk about their experience with it. If it's just as easy as dumping in coal and setting a temperature and hitting a button, walking away a la pellet cooker, except this is being done with charcoal and on a ceramic cooker. So if you want a bit more insight before you go to the snore, uh, before you go to the snore or store and snatch one up, you might want to stay tuned or follow me socially and get the heads up on when we're going to be doing this segment. I was looking at possibly next week because you know, we originally had Bob Trudnack, Mo Kaysan, to talk about this whole barbecue restaurant thing that they had going on. But, of course, that's on the out. However, Mo did really well at Memphis in May. We love talking with Bob Trudnack, of course. And I encourage them to keep the segment. We don't have to talk about what's going on with the restaurant because I believe there's still some legalities being worked out there. And they said, you know what? We agree. We'll go ahead and do that segment next week. So I would say connected Kamado Joe cooker talk could be that first week in June, maybe that second week in June in the second hour. But I'm working through some logistics with some folks that have it and getting schedules to match up and all this stuff. So let you know when that happens, but stay tuned. And again, follow me socially so you can get the ins and outs on when that's actually going to happen, especially if you're somebody that's so interested, you might go out and buy one. Listen first before we frivolously go out and spend our thin guilders. All right, Chris Lilly is ready to rock, and before we get to him, I'll talk to you quickly about Pits and Spits, the best-looking, best-cooking smokers and grills. Pits and Spits offers a full family of products, including traditional offset smokers, wood pellet grills, charcoal grills, travel grills, combination pits, fire pits, and much more. Pits and Spits has been one of the only American fabricating shops in the country it's focused on smokers and grills solely for 40 years. Why is that important? Because they're able to put an emphasis on quality and design, locally sourced the materials, and give you an unmatched attention to detail. From the fully welded barrels to the heavy gauge steel, they bring both function and beauty to life. Pits and Spits builds every product with the intention that it's going to get passed down from generation to generation. Whether you're in the competition scene or if you're just a backyard ham and egger like me, you can take the barbecue and grilling game to the next level at Pits and Spits because there is a product for you. Check them out online, pitsandspits.com slash bbqcentral. That's pitsandspits.com slash bbqcentral. And use promo code bbqcentral for a free spice pack when you order $500 or more. That can be done in a couple different ways. You can buy a cooker or you can amass 
a number of accessories to get to that $500 threshold. And then as you check out, just enter BBQ Central for that free spice pack. And again, the website, Pits and Spits. That's a double T on the pits and then on the spits. Pitsandspits.com slash BBQ Central. Find the cooker that's right for you. If you have questions, lob a phone call in. Talk to Coy in the shop or ask for Ryan, the owner, and they'll make sure you're situated with exactly what you need and you have success right off the bat. We are back with Chris Lilly right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. Visit CookinPellets.com for more information or to purchase, you can also visit Amazon.com or Lowe's.com or Walmart.com and purchase there as well and save on shipping. It's good folks over at CookinPellets.com. In fact, Chris Becker and I might have a new segment in the works, but stay tuned for that. My guest in the first hour is one of the most recognizable faces in the live fire industry. He is one of only two pitmasters that can lay claim to being a five-time overall grand champ at Memphis in May. He is also a successful cookbook author and, of course, most well-known for keeping the Big Bob Gibson's name known throughout the barbecue landscape. In 2016, he was inducted into the Barbecue Hall of Fame, and in 2022, he was inducted into the Barbecue Central Show's Guest Hall of Fame. I am, of course, talking about our pal Chris Lilly. Chris, before we get into all of the conversations that we're going to be having here this evening, uh, A, welcome back. Of course, we've had a long layoff. But B, the YouTube poll question of the week is, attending Memphis in May, is that a bucket list item for you? Obviously, I can't ask you that question because you go all the time every year for the last 25 years or however long it's been. But as somebody who has been there, if somebody came up to you and said, Chris, I'm a fan of barbecue. I like to cook it in my backyard, but should I go to Memphis in May? What's your sell on that? I would say absolutely. Uh, I think all four of the big uh, world championships, you know, the the uh, American Royal, the Jack Daniels, Houston Livestock, and Memphis in May, they're all a bucket list barbecue because they're so different. A lot of folks say, I've been to one, I've been to a malt. Absolutely not. They're all so niche, so, all so different. Uh, I mean, they can't even, you can't even compare the experience at one to the other. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you which one is the best. I've been to all four and love the experience to all four. You know, Memphis definitely has a special place in my heart because that was our first major, as our first first uh, major win, and we've been doing it probably longer than any other contest. Not my much. We've been to the Royal every year, and we'll be back again this year. But uh, you got to go to all four, and uh, then you can come to decision on which is which is better. But it's um, Memphis is really inviting to the public. Uh, a lot of the teams are open, uh, and you can come and go and meet a lot of people at Memphis. So I, I highly recommend it. Before we get into everything else, a wrong was righted last September when one Chris Lilly was inducted into the 2022 Barbecue Central Show's Guest Hall of Fame class. Now, admittedly, 
very embarrassed when I realized that this was the case that you hadn't already been in. And I think I can speak for myself, obviously, and the embedded correspondents who will be in in the second hour tonight. We all thought probably you were in with that inaugural class back in 2018 when we started this thing. And then as we do our homework to start to mention guests, it's a whole process that we do every September. I quickly realized as I'm going back through the inductees, oh, there's no Chris Lilly here. So I brought it up in September of last year and quickly you were uh, put through unanimously, but we were all just embarrassed here. So let's discuss what has to be. And I don't think I'm overstretching here. The crowning achievement in a barbecue career, that being the induction into the Barbecue Central Show's Guest Hall of Fame. How can it get better than that, Chris? <laughs> you know, I've got a few world championship rings, but I'll just show you something right here. There's only one that is on my microphone. Look at that. Now that is badass right there. I like it. <laughs> No, no, definitely, definitely proud. And, uh, you know, um, I, I do not care that I wasn't in the inaugural class just as long as I'm in my friend. So, uh, love your show. Uh, you've been doing it a long time. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's just a, there's, there's just a handful of us, of us that's been doing it as long as we have, we've been doing the barbecue thing a long time. So, um, I'm right there with you, big fan of you and the show and, uh, yeah, proud to be associated with it. I think as I went back to do the quick math, 2007, so the show wasn't even in its live format at that point. We didn't start that until February of 2008. So as it was just launching as an original podcast in 2007 was the first time you were on, and then we've had fairly regular conversations all the way through there. Sometimes we have some years that uh, go in between us, but uh, I think maybe aside from Bob Trudnick at the Barbecue Guru, you, uh, Ray Lampy, have been the most consistent long time. You know, there's another guy that's been doing it forever and is still as relevant as ever. So uh, it's been an honor for me to get to know you, you know, 15 years ago back then, and then to still be able to have you come on and we can talk about things that are happening in live fire and the changes that we've seen over our time in here has been a, a very humbling and wonderful thing for me here because you know all you guys legitimize the show as you show up here and we talk shop well i appreciate it because it's an intelligent show and really i'm um i'm pretty relaxed when i'm talking to you so uh you tend to get a lot more information out of me and uh, and how about ray lampy he's wanting to speak his mind as well you can always pull some gems out of him so uh so i think it's a head nod to you and your show you put us in a really ra relaxed position where we can uh give you the goods as i had mentioned at the top of the show here tomorrow we're actually doing a special exclusive announcement show where the class of uh, the 2023 Barbecue Hall of Fame is going to be exclusively announced at 3 p.m. Eastern. You're somebody that's already in there. As I mentioned, 2016, you were voted in. So you get to vote on the 10 finalists. Uh, now they've upped the ante a little bit. We've gone from three people that'll make it into the Barbecue Hall of Fame every year now to four. They went from nine finalists to 10 finalists. So I'm not going to ask you who you voted for unless you're really just uh, going to show that Chris Lilly courageousness and throw caution to the wind and let me know, I'm going to err on the side that you're not going to do that. But as you peruse the list, is there anybody, one or two or three, that stick out to you as an inspiration to you or somebody that you admire that, you know, whether you voted for them or not, just, you know, somebody you would want to speak a few minutes extra 
Oh gosh, I think uh, I think all of them are really impressed by this list because there's a lot of firsts. There's a lot of OGs, a lot of people who have you know uh, were there when it began and really changed the um, barbecue world. Whether it be with uh, uh, you know Sweet Baby Ray's or uh, Butt Rub, these are you know you look at it now everybody's got their own dry rub. Everybody's got their own sauces. The sauce aisles and the dry rub aisles. I mean, go on any kind of uh, social media and you see how many dry rubs are out there now. Uh, you know, back in the beginning, you know, it was Byron with his butt rub mm -hmm. and it was buttrub.com and competitions. I think he's doing a fabulous job. Uh, you know, Sweet Baby Ray's, that was sort of the OG of barbecue sauces that came from a specific person. Uh, so you got to look there as well. Um, there's a lot of people that inspired me when I first started cooking, you know, Fast Eddie was out there. Uh, he took uh, the guts out of the uh, the pellet auger and the driver system and turned it into a cabinet smoker for competitions. And then he hooked up with Cook Shack and really turned the pellet grill into a uh, a commercial unit, a huge commercial unit, uh, you know, with rotisserie and all. You also take people like uh, Steve Grady in Florida floor pain who have uh, cooked barbecue all their lives. I mean, you, you, you're talking about, you know, 35, 36 years in the business doing nothing but, uh, you know, cooking barbecue for the public every day. You can't, can't forget about them. Um, gosh, I, who am I missing? There's so many fantastic. I think just uh, Darren Worth. That's it. Oh, uh, Darren Worth. <laughs> when you stack up world championships yeah, right. like he has, that is an, uh, that is an easy pick right there. Uh, uh, you know, Darren is, um, He's he's been consistently doing, and I used to say it's it's very difficult to win, but it's very difficult to win consistently and year after year after year, and that's one thing you can count on with uh, Darren. Um, also, you know, you got the uh, Legacy Awards, which I'm very very optimistic. Uh, one of the people that I hope get in this year that I've been a big fan of, that's big been a big inspiration to me, is Bill Arnold with mm -hmm. Blues Hawk. You know, he's a person that um, I think should already be in there. Um, I'd love to see his uh, see his name get get read. Y you know, and I'm talking about people who have really transformed barbecue in their own special way. Mm -hmm. You know, I think all the people that I've listed, uh, you know, have a valid claim, you know, to that. Um, and then you look at uh, David Close, you know, from <laughs> when I started, he was building trailer you know, huge trailer grills for, you know, uh, for companies, for backyarders, uh, you know, the world's largest, uh, you know, from from small to large, any size in between. Um, he was one of the first that, that did that, you know, full time. Um, you know, it's it, it's a lot of people that uh, affected the world of barbecue and then affected me in my barbecue. So the list is really, really good. It's solid. I don't know who's going to get in. I had a tough choice and I had to uh, really read and research and, and take a look at everybody for, for a week before I could make my decision. We'll find out tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern who's going to be in, so stay tuned for that. Let's transition to this past weekend, Chris, and I know it's kind of a quick turnaround for you to come do this show after probably what was a, a very arduous uh, week or so plus for uh, Memphis in May. I don't know if a lot of people really understand what all goes into that. It's not something you just show up for on a Friday and then you cook, uh, turn it in on Saturday, and then all of a sudden you're turning back home on a Sunday. It's, it's a lot more involved than that. There was a lot of nonsense going on in the months that were in advance of this version of the Memphis in May. There was a bunch of Tom Lee Park renovations going on. 
There was a lot of back and forth between the Memphis and May Festival and the Parks Department, and there were all sorts of talk about $8,000 non-refundable security deposits, and the park was going to get rearranged, so the teams were going to have to go down. What was it like for you, and how did you find the renovations to be for the teams, and do you think it's a sustainable process going forward? Gosh, uh, barbecue drama. That's one thing you can absolutely leave me out of. Cause, you well, know, you think I, I just, can do the show for 15 yeah. years? It just never stops. <laughs> there is so much, but, uh, I usually stay, try to stay out there, but, uh, but I'm very observant. Uh, I have followed the whole situation. Um, you know, I've been cooking Memphis and May since 1997, a long dang time. And, uh, so I've seen it in all phases. Um, you know, the, the rain out or the flood out where we had to go over to tar Tiger Lane and do it. And then last year we went back to Tiger Lane and I did that at the, uh, and then back to, back to the Tom Lee Park this year. Yes, they did a ton of renovations, added hills and sidewalks and trees and vegetation and really cut the park by, gosh, I want to say, you know, two thirds or at least a half. Uh, you know, cut cut it down. So Memphis and May didn't have any choice. They had to cut the number of teams. So it went from, you know, 250 roughly to about 150. Um, wow. The thing about it is, is last year they lost money. This year, um, hopefully they made money. But the problem is the barbecue drama and um, and the headbutting and, um, you know, between Memphis and May and the city and the park planners and uh, the people that run the park. Uh, I mean, there's just so much there and so much tension there. I would not be shocked if we did not go back to the park. There was a lot of money spent on the park. Uh, a lot of turf went down right before Memphis and May, which is absolutely ridiculous in my opinion. Uh, I think they should have held off on the tour turf before the music festival in yep. Memphis and May. And, uh, and then maybe laid the brand new turf after the fact. So, uh, you know, you, when you talk about, you know, setting up, you know, the weekend before and doing a whole week festival and the weekend before the, with the, and with the music festival and having that many people down at the park, there's going to be, you know, a lot of trampled damage and mud holes and everything else. So I, it's a sit and wait right now. Um, how much damage was done, how much money they have to put back into it. There was, you know, talk of insurance policies and everything else. But um, I think we're sitting at a 50-50 right now, whether uh, whether we will have Memphis and May back at that same location um, next year or 50-50, whether it's even going to happen or not. From a scenery standpoint, is this the place that it needs to be? Does it need to be Tom Lee Park because it's on the river and all the things that go along with that? I think as far as the public goes, Memphis and May makes their uh, money off of uh, not only sponsorships and team admissions, but uh, the main the main cog of this is the public interaction and the public paying gate. It's the money they draw from gates that really is a winner or a loser, which made it a loser last year. Mm -hmm. um, so if they, you can't draw the people and you're going to draw the most people right off of Bill Street, right off of downtown Memphis, right on the river. It's a place you want to go. It's a place you want to take your family. Um, where else in Memphis are they going to be able to pull that and pull that much crowd? I don't know that there is, um, although, you know, I could be wrong. could surprise me. As I'd mentioned in the open and in your intro, you're a five-time, <clears throat> excuse me, over, overall world champ at Memphis and May. The only person that's got as many wins as you is your pal Myron Mixon over there, Jacks Hold South, who had a scheduling conflict and wasn't able to make it this past weekend. I'm wondering, the wins were coming 
you know, pretty rapidly or at least in a, in a good sector of time. And the farther you get away from overall world championships, do you start to think that maybe you and Myron end up at a deadlock ongoing? Because I don't see anybody really coming up and meeting you guys at five overall grands here anytime soon. Well, it's, it's interesting because the difference in a sixth place, which what we, we, what we finished this year, sixth place in shoulders and a first place shoulder is one afterthought of one judge. Um, it is one judge putting down a, you know, 9.8 instead of a 10 or a nine instead of a 10. Uh, one of the seven judges, because there's four blind judges and three on-site judges. So yes, we finished sixth, but uh, probably less than two points out of uh, finals. Uh, get me in finals where I can put my shoulder up against, you know, um, all of the others head to head and I feel really, really good. Um, but, um, you know, we've been doing this since 1997. Um, gosh, what is that? That's a long time. Is that <laughs> 28 years, 20, 20, yeah, 20, yeah, 20 28 years. years. And, uh, we've only been out of the top 10 one time. So I don't think we're slipping or anything like that. I just think that there's a lot more, uh, you know, teams that have quality championship uh, stuff. So um, and the margins are so slim now, you pretty much got to get a perfect score or pretty close to a perfect score to make the finals in each category. And uh, again, uh, one afterthought by one judge would have been the difference in us, uh, you know, going to head, head to head in the finals. I remember having an interview with you a while back and you had talked about how the team had seen such great success for a number of years and then fell off. And it wasn't until you had started to do your own investigating, asking other pitmasters, hey, what are you doing? Or, you know, we used to be hitting and, and now we're not. And they asked if you were saucing the pork and you said, oh, no way. And like, well, yeah, everybody else is saucing the pork. And so you said, oh, OK, you went back to the tool shed and started winning again. Uh, as you had mentioned, you don't finishing in the top ten is great, but Chris Lilly and Big Bob Gibbs is, is known for winning shoulder, and I think the last time you guys won shoulder was 2018. Do you think about tinkering at all at this point, or not yet? Absolutely, we did before we went in this year. Um, I went in with the best pork shoulder product that I've ever put out at Memphis in May. Uh, you know, tweak the injection, uh, tweak the finishing sauce, tweak the table sauces, um, and in every case, it was better. You know, blind side by side than what we've been serving. Um, so we felt great going in and still feel really, really good. Um, Again, we barely missed out uh, this year. So, um, and really, you got a fantastic memory, my friend. Uh, you know, you've been doing as many shows if you've if you've done, and uh, I think that conversation was a while ago. But um, absolutely, we consider everything, and I lean on a lot of my friends. You know, I, I cook two contests a year: uh, the American Royal in Memphis in May. You know, there's a lot that happens in those judges' tents between uh, every year from Royal to Royal or Memphis in May to Memphis in May, you know, and judges, uh, their outlooks change on what they expect when they open up a box. And, um, you know, the judges will say, well, we don't expect anything, but you know, <laughs> you know, you, you wonder sometimes. So, uh, absolutely you, uh, we, th we talk to friends and, uh, get help, you know, uh, here and there now in total honesty, the biggest decision I'll have next year is to turn in a traditional Memphis in May box or maybe gear a little bit closer to a KCBS turn in. Mm. 
Uh, that's a big question because um, used to, if you turned a KCBS box at Memphis, and I'm talking with the medallions and the, you know, pull chunk, you know, just the different sort of meticulous outlay of pork, as opposed to just pulled pork in a box, you would absolutely get hammered. But I think over the last several years, um, a lot more judges have made the circle and do all different types of guys, both KB, KCBS and Judge at Memphis in May. So you get judges that are used to, uh, you know, a, a KCBS box turn in. So, um, you know, do I do a hybrid box next year? Do I go back with, uh, you know, Memphis and May box? Do I, you know, switch over to KC? Because Memphis and May, traditionally Memphis and May boxes and KCBS boxes are different. Um, but now it's it's all sort of coming together. And uh, so we'll see what we'll see what happens next year. You started going to Memphis in 97. You started winning world overall titles at Memphis in May in 2000. From a competition standpoint, how do you see your role specifically with the team moving forward here over the next five, ten years? Great question, and one I'm glad you asked. Um, you know, I'm positioned now that I have the uh, fifth-generation barbecue pitmasters uh, restaurateurs in the business. I've got two sons that I work with every day at the restaurants, one at each restaurant. Uh, the great thing about it is I get to travel with them. I get to do competitions and, uh, and caterings and corporate events and stuff and uh, really just enjoy our time on the road as well. So I think in the future, yeah, I think I'll, it'll be a uh, I'll be a place where I can step back and I've already started stepping back and letting them uh, take the lead on a lot of things. Um, you know, especially the overnight cooking, that was an easy, Hey, you take this, <laughs> let me go back and get a little sleep. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things you got to pay your dues. Um, and, uh, and they are, they are, they jumped in and doing a fantastic job. So, uh, yes, I'll pull back. I'll let them take the reins and, uh, uh, just enjoy watching them uh, compete and run restaurants and, and things like that. Chris, can I put you on hold here for a couple minutes, and then we'll come back and pick it up? For sure. All right. Stand by. We'll be back with more Chris Lilly here in just one second. But before we talk about the restaurant a little bit further and some other things like barbecue television, what do we love about ceramic cookers? We love that they're fuel efficient. We love that you can achieve low and slow temperatures for traditional barbecue meats. We love that you can get rip-roaring hot for high-temperature grilling of steaks and other thin cuts, but what's missing in the everyday lineup of ceramic cookers? The real ability to do true two-zone cooking. Two-zone cooking is very important to both professional and backyard cooks alike. It's the best way to manage a fire and cook with confidence. However, getting a two-zone fire in a round ceramic cooker is not very realistic. Why? Because it's round. And a Primo Grill in the game-changing oval design, this shape gives you the ability to execute that two-zone setup that you desire. It also gives you the other ceramic grill benefits as well. When you break it down, there's more than 60 different ways to configure the Primo Cooker so you're only limited by your culinary imagination. And if you're like most of us, you love the accessories. Primo doesn't disappoint here either. They have the Primo Grill Rotisserie, the Primo Grill Pizza Accessory, half pans, full pans, rib racks, and the list goes on. You can get them only at dealers, so find one near you by visiting the website primogrill.com. Here's the bottom line. Best ceramics in the biz? Yes. Patented technology? Yes. True two-zone cooking capabilities in multiple sizes? Of course. So go to the dealer near you, look at all the ovals that are currently available, and then you pick the one that best fits you. Remember, oval is the difference. 
PrimoGrill.com. Follow him on Facebook and Instagram. We'll be back with more Chris Lee right after this. Stick around. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. And this portion of the show being brought to you by Fireboard. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or connect via Bluetooth. If you have smart speakers in your home, you're in luck because Fireboard integrates with those as well. Visit fireboard.com. Or call 816-945-2232. Don't forget about that Fireboard Spark, the Instant Read Meat Thermometer, and Single Channel Fireboard. All in one. And we are rejoined again by Chris Lilly. So you had mentioned your sons being involved in the restaurant business, and I wanted to kind of tail off the competition stuff and go back into the restaurants. You know, for a few decades, Chris Lilly has been synonymous with Big Bob Gibson's. The brand is you. You are the brand. Did you have to work hard on that, or did it just come easily? Well, when I it, Big Bob Gibson already had a fantastic name, especially in this area, North Alabama. Uh, you know, so much tradition. Uh, it's been here since 1925. So the uh, you know the knowledge was there, and the recipes and techniques, you know, passed down. It was all there. Um, I just felt like it was my job to spread the word a little bit. Uh, uh, let everybody know what we were doing in Decatur, Alabama. Let everybody know about Big Bob Gibson Barbecue and in uh, our history. And uh, so that was, it was easy in that respect because I had a story. I had a story to tell. Um, and I think we used uh, our success in competitions and our world championships to, you know, get into TV and get magazine articles and newspaper articles and stuff and st- started getting the word about back, you know, when the, in the world of no social media or anything like that. So, um, so um, yeah, it was, it was hard work, but I had a story, so it made it much easier. You had kind of preemptively talked about a succession plan to a certain degree. We were talking about competitions there, but you had also said they were taking an active role in the restaurant. I'm asking you to speak for your kids. I don't know what kind of conversations you have between the three of you, but you're a pretty big deal in the live fire industry. So had they ever communicated to you that they felt like they were in a shadow or there were some pretty big shoes to fill here as they were going to be taking more responsibility? You know, it's, it's, Right now, they're in a really good position, and they're learning the business. and uh, And I think they're about that point where they they'll start making some decisions on which direction. They've got a lot of different different directions they could go. Um, you, you know, do they open up more restaurants? Do they uh, you know start pushing out more barbecue products and things like that? I'm in a great position now, so I can support them. And uh, you know, they're younger guys now; they have the drive. Uh, you know, and I'm in a position to so- support them. Uh, depending on which they, which way they want to go, uh, got a great work ethic and uh, good minds. So uh, no telling where we're going to carry this big Bob Gibson thing. Do you see yourself ever being a traditionally retired guy having a sweet tea out in the deck somewhere, or will you always be running? There's no way. <laughs> There's no way. I've already always got to have a project. Uh, I've always got to be doing something. Um, I don't see myself retiring. I, I can see myself pulling back a little bit, uh, although I haven't yet. But I can see myself pulling back a little bit and focusing on other projects 
and supporting the kids, uh, again, on which direction they want to go. But, uh, no, I can't retire. There's no way. Let me ask you a general business question, nothing barbecue related, but we can focus it on the live fire industry in general. Um, you know, you are both, as I had mentioned, a, a name and a brand. This is something that I've been trying to get across to folks and I've been very big on for years, and that's knowing your value. In other words, not doing something for free or in exchange for a free product or a low-paying commission link. Instead, cut a deal, get money, and get that product for free that they were wanting to give you. How did you learn your value as you got going? Really great question. And I think early on, you know, um, I, I didn't really put a high enough value on what I did. Um, I've gotten a lot better at it. And it's sort of a juggling act for me because, uh, you know, you have friends in barbecue and you want to support them. Uh, and, and I will support a lot of my friends um, and not expect any money. Um, I've got some, uh, favorite charity organizations, you know, within the barbecue industry that, uh, that I'll do st stuff for and not expect, uh, any money. Um, but, uh, you know, you've got to pick and choose. I've got to stay relevant in different areas of barbecue and different parts of the industry. Um, you know, and it's funny, you know, usually when I come on a show, we always start talking about competition first, but I probably view myself as, a a competition as far as what I do is a very, very small part of, of my life and what I do. Um, you know, the restaurant is the number one thing. Uh, my corporate contacts and corporate uh, travels and caterings and stuff, uh, you know, is a big part of what I do. I'm in a great position now where I say no a whole, whole lot. Um, but uh, I just, I go where I want to go and hang out with the people I want to hang out with. Um, in a lot of cases, it's lucrative. In some cases, it's just where I want to be, and that's a good good position to be in in your life. When you look back over the last 15, 20 years, just in barbecue in general or live fire, what's been the biggest one or two evolutions or introductions into this industry that you thought have really changed the game? Wow. Oh, that's tough. Um that is a really tough question. You know, right off the top of my head, um, you know, when I first started cooking, uh, you know, the pellet industry was almost non-existent. Uh, that's one cool thing that I've seen over my entire um, career uh, from the very beginning uh, and, and seeing the pellet industry explode. Uh, so that's one cool thing that, uh, that has happened. Uh, I think the popularity of barbecue uh, you know, used to when I travel up to New York, there might have been one or two barbecue restaurants and they both sucked. Um, but now you go up to New York, New York and you get some fantastic barbecue. Uh, so um, and uh, and the how about the Texas barbecue thing? You know, used to the old school and old style of Texas barbecue. And then uh, and then Texas is almost having a barbecue trans transformation. And where the old school joints have handed a, uh, the baton to a lot of these uh, new school barbecue places that still cook old school methods, but have changed techniques and uh, started doing their briskets and other things different. So uh, there's a there's a lot of great new pitmasters in Texas. So um, so yeah, that's a, that's a few things right there. Do you think Texas is just really good at beating their chest about how good they are, and everybody else is kind of caught in the background of that room noise? 
I think Texas just uh, was was sort of in a perfect storm and uh, found a niche on. Um, um, and, you know, I think a lot goes into that. Uh, one, the influx of new talent and in uh, in people that have new chefs that have really uh, tried new things. Um, you look at what the Texas Monthly has done with uh, their top 50, you know, every few years and how that has exploded, that it really uh, it, it really has defined Texas barbecue and the barbecue joints in that place. You know, it gives uh, the Texans, you know, a list of where to go. It gives me a list of where to go, where, where to go when I go to Texas and, you know, want, want to try new stuff. So, um um, also the influ- uh, the influence of Tex-Mex and, um, and, you know, you look at Ernest, what Ernest is doing at Burnt Bean, you know, and James Beard, uh, Miguel, uh, at Valentina's, uh, what he has done, you know, so there's a lot of not only new techniques, but also new flavors that have, have, uh, transformed Texas barbecue. First of all, let's end it on a TV note. I remember having a conversation with John Marcus probably going on three and a half years ago, right before the pandemic hit. So it probably would have been the fall before the pandemic really hit. And um, we were talking at that point, but then about two years ago, John was inducted into the Barbecue Central Show's Guest Hall of Fame, and we were doing a whole big origin story of John Marcus, how he grew up in Ohio and how he came to be this big TV guy and all this stuff. And we were talking about barbecue TV, and within the interview, he specifically mentioned that you singularly were the one that pitched him the idea of barbecue being on TV uh, behind trailers at the Big Apple block party or something like that. If you think back to that, maybe you don't even remember it. How do you see it in your mind, and what was that pitch like to John to, to gauge his interest? You know, it's it, we developed a friendship. It was probably 2 or 3 in the morning uh, on the streets of New York, uh, refueling barbecue pits in the middle of the night. Um, he wasn't working with us then, but he, he was out, you know, helping team, helping a team. And I was there, again, paying my dues, uh, ref- refueling in the middle of the night. And uh, that's where we started talking. Uh, and from there, uh, just uh, he had a passion for learning about barbecue. Um and, uh, you know, we had a lot of conversations, uh, you know, not only about what he did, uh, you know, a producer, writer for The Cosby Show and numerous other uh, shows, uh, comedy writer, sitcoms and everything else. But, um, yeah, we had some great conversations. And uh, at the time, there was no barbecue on TV. Um and I uh, pitched him a show, and uh, he liked the idea. We wrote the entire show up, sold the show. Back then, it was All-Star Barbecue Showdown, turned into Barbecue Championship uh, TV, uh, and then that sort of morphed into Pitmasters. So uh, really proud of it. Uh, John's a dear friend. Uh, still talk to John this day. As a matter of fact, I saw him in New York when I was up there about a month ago, but uh, he did a fantastic job with Pitmasters, and uh and uh, yeah, yeah, we've had a lot of a lot of good times and talked talk barbecue and got barbecue on TV. Definitely proud of that. Could we say that had that seminal discussion not have taken place, that maybe barbecue television wouldn't have happened? I think it would have been a delayed, and I think we we're a touch before our time anyway when we uh, rolled out All Star Barbecue Showdown. Um, 
Uh, it, uh, you know, it had decent ratings, but, uh, you know, it, it didn't catch on like, you know, barbecue pitmasters did a few years later. Uh, so I, maybe a few years, we, we, we rolled it out a few years too soon. Uh, I think inevitably, yes, there, there would have been a barbecue show, but it wouldn't have involved me and it probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have involved John. There was those two seasons or three seasons that you were talking about in advance of what ended up being barbecue pitmasters. And then that had a run of somewhere towards 11 seasons that really helped lift the industry as a whole experience or uh, expose this whole thing to a group of people that maybe didn't even know about it. Do you see a time where this perfect storm happens again, or do we chalk this up to that being a golden era of barbecue television that isn't going to be recaptured again? You know, television is tough nowadays, uh, you know, because there's so much going to, you know, digital streaming and everything. And I think that's as for, for barbecue, might, that might be the wave of the future and less on, you know, syndicated shows and things like that. But um, so, uh, you know, we'll see. I think barbecue's got a lot of life in it. It's got a lot of love, a lot of passion. A lot of people st- uh, still do it, still love to do it. So, uh, so yeah, I think we've got a huge base that we can build off of. Uh, I don't think barbecue is going anywhere. In the backyard, it's as popular as ever. Perhaps it's grown leaps and bounds uh, year after year over the last 10 years, maybe 12 years. We're seeing a lot of griddle cooking showing up almost out of nowhere. I didn't even think that was going to be a thing. And now every manufacturer is racing to get one out to the market freestanding or some type of an insert to a grill that they already make. Are you a fan of flat top cooking? I like flat top cooking. I will tell you the style that I do a little bit more. I still do most of my flat top cooking over charcoal, you know, turning grill grates over. So I've got the flat top, and I, but I still get the charcoal sear, you know, through the holes and stuff like that. So, uh, but I can still make smash burgers, which I do, uh, and things like that that I do on the griddle. Uh, no, I have no problem with griddle cooking. Um, um, uh, yeah, you can feed a lot of people off a of griddle and, um, but as far as I still love charcoal, I love the flavor of charcoal. And, uh, so most of my griddle cooking is up down, upside down grill grates over charcoal. From a trends standpoint or something that you see, you know, coming down the road here in the near future, maybe by the end of 2023 or at some point in 2024, what do you see catching popularity or, uh, something that's maybe sitting in the background now that really might make an entrance? Gosh, uh, I don't know, Greg. What do you think? I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I I don't know. Well, uh, I thought 2023 was going to be the year that the full-sized electric grill was going to be a thing. Now, what I mean by that is uh, roughly a year ago, Charbroil brought out a full-size electric grill called the Edge. And I thought, wow, here's something for folks that live in apartments. Or maybe they're in some type of in a confinement where they can't use charcoal or wood or what have you, or pellet cookers for that reason. But electric's okay. This gives you a full-size grill experience, except it's electric. And they're billing it to be something that gets up to 600 degrees in 15 minutes. It can reach 700 degrees, so you have plenty enough heat to do whatever you're going to be doing from a grilling standpoint. And I thought that one entrant was going to now cause a number of other grill manufacturers to bring it to market this year. Well, subsequently, that hasn't happened. But I'm really continuing to champion this. I've heard Napoleon is supposed to be bringing one out. 
or they have been supposedly rolling one out here over the last handful of months. Weber was going to bring, uh, Weber introduced one, but it was smaller. It had more of a travel size feel to it. I thought that was going to be a full-size one. But the hiccup or the hurdle that I'm getting, because I went to the HPB Expo in Louisville a couple months ago and talked to a bunch of the CEOs and owners out there, and I said, do you believe in electric full-size cookers? And to a man, they said yes, but then all of them said it's got to be 220. Otherwise, 110 just isn't going to get the job done. I don't know if they didn't realize that a 110 is already out there and it is fitting the bill. Um, or if 220 is just that much better. But I'm still uh, buying on the fact that there's going to be full-size electric cookers to choose from. Maybe it's going to take another year. What do you think about that? Uh, how about a backyard air fryer with a smoke attachment? How about Next Grill makes a smart <laughs> gas grill with an air fryer attached to it already? Look at you. <laughs> There you go, my friend. Do we need see, to attach an air fryer to anything outside, or can we just leave that inside and use it sparingly? You know, a lot of the grill companies are doing the uh, flat top, the griddle attachments, yep. you know, on the side of all the grills and everything else. So why not Why not drop an air fryer? I don't know. I don't know, with a little smoke intake, a little smoke box on the bottom. Before I release you tonight, Chris Lillian, I appreciate the time. Anything you want to promote or tell us where you're going to be at coming up? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I just finished a nice run of events out of town. Um, so I've got a couple of months or at least one month where I, I sit around and uh, don't do a whole lot. So uh, but uh, a couple of things that I'm really excited about this uh, fall is uh, I worked up a relationship with uh, Copper Cane. It's a vineyard out of Napa and we do a ton of events together. Uh, they make some great wines. And uh, we do some cool events like uh, college football. So last year we did Texas, Alabama and uh, Georgia, Florida. This year we're doing Georgia, Florida. We're going to do Clemson, Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll be doing a big tailgate up there. So we'll do about four, uh, four games or maybe some concerts. So, uh, again, I only go where I want to go or hang out with the people I want to hang out. So that's another great relationship that I can do, uh, hang out, drink some good wine at, uh, at the tailgate. So that's, a, that's fantastic. Still with Kingsford. Uh, just left them at uh, Memphis in May. We do, did some fantastic stuff down there. Uh, love what they're doing in the barbecue industry. Uh, and again, um, Yeti, Yeti. Definitely get to go. Me, uh, I was with them last year in Ireland. Uh, there's a big grill festival in the middle of August. That is one that I put down every year. And if I get a chance to go, uh, maybe uh, uh, slip back over to Ireland this year. So got some fun stuff coming up. Uh, be traveling around. So uh, look for me anywhere and everywhere. Chris, you said it all. And what a Fabulous honor for me to have you back on as we catch up here. And it has truly been my pleasure over these last 15, 16 years to do these interviews and uh, to count you as a live fire friend and friend of the show, which I certainly appreciate. So uh, once again, thank you very much for all the time you've given to the show. And uh, let's do it again before four years elapses again. All you got to do is ask, my friend. All right. Appreciate it. There he is. Chris Lilly right there. By the way, if you didn't know, you can go to the Big Bob Gibson's website at bigbobgibson.com or you can follow Chris socially at Chris Lilly BBQ. 
and uh, he's on Instagram and Twitter as well. So if you are not following him, go ahead and give him a follow so you can see what he's up to, posting a lot of great content through what was going on this past weekend out there in Memphis as well. So great. Well, really appreciate that conversation with Chris. Again, BigBobGibson.com is the website, or follow him socially at BBQ on social media handles. We will wrap the first hour coming back, so stick around. If you have any reaction to that interview, go ahead and email me, greg at thebbqcentralshow.com, because that is working again. That email is working. And by the way, if you're perusing the new website, the Hall of Fame portion, the guest Hall of Fame portion, is under construction. We're getting that rectified probably as we speak. That should be up and running by tomorrow or Thursday at the latest. So, Again, if you have any reaction to Chris Lilly, hit me up on the instant chat over on YouTube or Facebook or shoot me an email, greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. And we'll be back to wrap the first hour right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. And we thank Chris Lilly for joining us for the past two segments, BigBobGibson.com or follow Chris socially at ChrisLillyBBQ on Instagram or Twitter or wherever you follow people socially. One of the many things that were interesting and that I wanted to react to as we were tying up the Memphis and May recap and conversation, I asked him if he thought that if Tom Lee Park was going to be a sustainable option for the continuance of Memphis and May competitions going forward. And I don't know if you were paying attention or not. He said 50-50 if that location was going to be good, as in maybe they would have to find another location. But then he also said 50-50 on if it was going to continue or not. Get that big stuff out of here. Again, don't know if you had the ears keen, but he did say he was questioning whether or not the ongoing event would actually happen. There's a lot of politicking going on between the International Festival, between the parks people and the city. I know the mayor was getting involved when I was trying to chase people down for why is there an $8,000 non-refundable deposit for teams and barbecue vendors. Now, the Parks Department did return answers to me without issue. The Memphis and May International Festival never returned That's not true. They returned one email and then on subsequent follow-ups to get more information and to clarify, they gave no responses back when I asked them how they came up with picking the teams that they picked because there were a lot of big teams left out. How did they arrive on these decisions? No answer back. Of course, I did not ask for reaction from the city, like the the governor. The mayor, I don't care about that. 
this is a pretty big deal. So Chris Lilly questioning whether or not Memphis and May in general will be back 50-50. Interesting. We're going to refresh libations, and then we will point to the second hour. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Stick around. We'll be right back.